classes. The rest of you are dismissed to your classes. In the book of Genesis, we preach. In the 32nd chapter, Genesis chapter 32. At this point, Jacob has departed from Laban and he's on his way home by commandment from God. The Bible says in verse 1, And Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. He called the name of that place Mahanam. And God sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban, and have stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks, men servant and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord, that I may find grace in thy sight. Say praise the Lord. Verse 22. He rose up that night, took his two wives, his two women servants, his eleven sons, and passed over the fort Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and went over that he had. Jacob was left alone to wrestle the man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for, I, for the day breaketh. He said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? He blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. In verse 30 again, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. Verse 2, uh, 32, And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. He called the name of that place Mahanaim. I'm going to preach to you, honor our encounters with the Lord. Honor our encounters with the Lord. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I was driving down the road the other day and I was thinking about Mother's Day and um, I believe the Spirit of the Lord impressed me to say this to you and that is we are not commanded in the Bible to have a Mother's Day. We are commanded in the Bible to honor our mothers and our fathers. So I'm sure that it's okay 
if we honor our mothers today on Mother's Day. But we need to remember that this is something that the whole world does basically at this time, at least the United States of America. That everybody that I know celebrates Mother's Day. Whether they be Christian or not Christian, whether they be in the church or outside of the church, whether they be a part of another religion than Christianity and following Jesus Christ or not, most people today that are even unbelievers observe a Mother's Day. And that's fine. I think it's worthy that we honor our mothers on a particular day. But I believe the Spirit of God was emphasizing to me by way of direction in order to preach to you this morning that the emphasis that we place on a particular day of the year and the holidays that we celebrate as a people, oftentimes they do not promote anything for the soul or anything for eternity. It's only for time. And so this morning, I believe by the direction of the Lord, it just so happens by His providence that we're moving into the area of Scripture where we see spiritual things honored. Spiritual things honored. Instead of a particular day for a particular people or a particular holiday, as we know many holidays are anti-God. They have nothing to do with God. So in the process of honoring mothers on Mother's Day, I think it's important for us, and I feel led by the Spirit of God to preach to you today, how important it is for us to honor the Lord. Honor our experiences in God, not just a mother, not just a day, but spiritual things. Let us focus our honor upon these things. Spiritual events that take place in your life. Things that promote the spirit, the soul, and eternal life. And so the Bible gives us two examples in the life of Jacob where he did that very thing. He called one place Mahanaim, and he called the other place Peniel. Because he wanted to honor his experiences with God. And so as we go through the Scripture, the Bible says that Jacob has made his way from Laban's house after 20 years of being there. We remember when he first started his journey earlier in the book of Genesis that he went to a certain place and it was, it was night and the Bible says the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending upon a ladder and the Lord was standing on the top of that ladder. At that time, Jacob was a lonely man. He was by himself. All he had was a staff in his hand. He was by himself. He had to leave his family behind. He had to leave his mother behind because they had deceived their father, his father, into giving him the blessing connected to the birthright. And we went through all that. And so because Rebecca and Jacob deceived their daddy, he had to run from his life from Esau. He did not see his mother again, ever alive again. He stayed 20 years in his uncle's home and never saw his mother again because his deceiving and his manipulating the situation. So after 20 years, 
you know he's going to go back home. But when we first saw him leave his house, he was lonely because of his own decisions. He was lonely, he was helpless, he was hopeless, he was cast out, basically. He thought he left his God at home, and here he is, it's night, and the Bible says he makes a pillow out of rocks. That's what happens in your life when you live a life of sin or deception. You don't find soft places in your life. You find places where rocks become your pillows. But nonetheless, in that lonely condition, helpless and hopeless and, and banished, feeling like he had left his God at home, God appeared to him and let him know, I'm in this place right now. I'm with you, Jacob. And I'm going to be with you. You're going to go to Laban's house. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bring you back home. And Jacob entered into a covenant with God there to be faithful to the house of God to be faithful in his service to God and be faithful in his bringing the tithe to the Lord. And so 20 years later, God has kept his promise and brought him back to the land. God has protected him. God has watched over him. God has provided for him. Now, instead of just a staff in his hand, he's grown into a great company of people. And he's making his way back. When those angels ascending and descending on that ladder first saw him, they ministered to him in the area of loneliness. Letting him know God is with you and angels are with you. Don't be lonely, Jacob. They ministered to his helplessness and his hopelessness. And, and this feeling, I don't have a home anymore by showing him, giving him a revelation of heaven. But now things have changed. Twenty years later, as he makes his way by commandment from God back home, the angels return. There is a return of the angels. Those angels that he saw ascending and descending 20 years ago, now he sees as he makes his way back home, the return of the angels. But the circumstances are different now. He's not lonely, helpless, hopeless, and banished. Now... He's fixing to encounter a battle with his brother called Esau. The one he deceived 20 years ago. So before he even sees Esau, and Esau at this point is making his way. He's heard that Jacob's coming. And Esau's making his way with 400 men. While Jacob has been gathering flocks, Esau has been gathering an army. And so now as Jacob comes, Esau's got an army of 400 men with him. You can imagine the fear and the terror that would grip Jacob as he, he knows what he did to his brother 20 years ago, how he deceived his brother. And he knows the possibility for bloodshed and the possibility for harm is there. But before Jacob meets with Esau, his angry brother, the Bible says God sends angels. Those same angels that he saw ascending and descending on that ladder, God sends these angels to meet with him. Not angels to minister to his loneliness, but angels that would be warriors. That would fight, that would help him get the victory because he's fixing to encounter his angry brother and 400 men in an army. And God says, by showing him these angels, it's going to be okay. 
I'm with you. I'm sending my angels on your behalf to help fight your battles. I'm, I'm sending my angels. And, and just as you have allowed yourself to be guided by my Spirit, now I'm going to guard you. And so Jacob, in obedience to God, making his way back home because God told him to, because of that obedience that he is displaying to God, God says, all right, I'm going to guard you. You can't expect this kind of event to take place in your life, this spiritual significant event to take place in your life where angels come and guard you if you're not walking a path that is in the will of God. If you're not obedient to God, you will never have angels that will meet you like this. But because Jacob, by obedience to the Word of the Lord, is going back home like he was told by God to do, that path of obedience has allowed God to send angels on his behalf to protect him, to, to guard him, because he's fixing to potentially enter into something that could be deadly. But God's got it under control. So who were the angels sent to? They were sent to a man by the name of Jacob who 20 years lied and cheated and deceived and manipulated his dad and had to run for his life. And so now he's on a run again. He's running for his life again. But this time, it's away from Esau. Because Esau wants to kill him. He already, Esau had already said, I'm going to kill Jacob. I'm going to kill my brother for what he's done. And that's resounding in the ears of Jacob. So what does Jacob do now? As he's obedient to God, he makes his way home. In that obedience, that path of obedience, God sends angels. A very awesome spiritual experience from God. How many of y'all would like to see some angels? See, normally you can't see angels. They're here right now. They're all over this sanctuary. Reach out your hand right now. Put it out beside you. You just put your hand through an angel. You don't know they're there because you can't see them. But sometimes God, if you're walking in the path of obedience the way you're supposed to be, and the circumstance requires it, God will allow you to see angels. I Maybe once or twice in my life, one time particularly for sure, I saw angels in a dream. They came to help me in a time to fight a spirit called Jezebel that was going to move into this church and take over the women. And I saw the women sitting around and the spirit of Jezebel took a hold of them and, and they were dressed in an ungodly way. And I'm not going to get into details because I don't want to offend anybody this morning. But the Spirit of God showed me, I'm, I'm sending you angels right now. And He sent me two angels to help me fight the spirit of Jezebel that would try to come into this church. That doesn't happen very often. It hasn't happened very often in my life where God allows you to see angels. But when it's necessary, when it's needed, and if you're in the will of God and you're serving God, God can show you Make them visible to you angels that you're not aware of, that they're there, that you couldn't see, but God allows you to see them. He opens your eyes sometimes. And so Joshua was able to see, or Jacob was able to see with his eyes into the invisible world. And he saw these angels coming as he's on the path of obedience. A significant event, spiritual event took place in his life. And as a result of that, he said, this place right now, he said, I'm going to commemorate, I'm going to honor this experience that I have had with God 
And I'm going to commemorate it by calling it Mahanaim. That's the way he honored this experience was by calling it Mahanaim, which means a double host. Which means a camp of two. What what Jacob is saying is this, is that God is showing me that as I and my host, as I and my family make our journey back home in the will of God, that the host that I'm a part of this human host we're not by ourselves there's another host it's a spiritual host it's an angelic host that's been with me for 20 years and I didn't see him but as I'm coming back home now God is letting me see as I'm walking in obedience to him that I haven't been by myself all of these years and as I'm making my way back home God is allowing me to see it's not just my earthly host but there's a spiritual heavenly host that's with me, that's walking with me. And so what we have is a return of the angels as Jacob makes his way back. But this time, it's not because he's lonely. It's time because he needs some warring angels. He needs some angels, some spiritual beings that will help him fight because there's an army that's about to attack him. And it's already been said, I'm going to kill you. Esau already said that. And so now when he makes his way back, it's not in the lonely mountains where he met them before, but now it's on a hard, dusty, dirty road. He meets them on the side of the road. See, sometimes you'll meet angels in the high places on the mountains when you're lonely and helpless and hopeless. You might meet an angel there like he did originally 20 years before, but now we see there are times you need a different kind of angel to come. And that's where you're walking in life. And it's hard. And it's dirty. And it's dusty. And you got battles that you're fixing to face in your life that you don't even, you're not even ready for. You're not even prepared for it. But God will send those angels in that dirty place, that low place, before you enter into those battles that you're going to be fighting. God is saying, I'm going to let you see some angels before I let you see the battle you're going to face. I'm going to let you see the host that is with thee. So that's not just you, but there's angels that are walking with you. And so Jacob got a revelation that this is a mighty, mighty God. And I'm fixing to face a battle that I can't win without God's intervention. I'm fixing to face a battle that I can't win if God doesn't help me. And oftentimes that's exactly what God does for you and I. We're fixing to enter into battles. I'm hearing you right now. See, some of you don't even hear what I'm saying. I'm going to say it to you this way. I'm not just preaching you a sermon this morning. I'm going to say it to you this way. Some of us are about to enter into battles. But God in His goodness and God in His mercy and God in His grace, just like He did for Jacob, as you walk in the path of obedience, God will show you that they that be with you are more than they that be with them. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to go through that battle that's out there in front of you. But the good news is before you... Get into that battle. God is letting you know beforehand, I'm with you. You're not by yourself. I'm sending angels. They're warring angels. They're going to fight on your behalf if a battle takes place. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? You can't come to church and just sit there idle. You need to understand that there is a battle that is about to face some of you that is beyond your capability and your ability to win. 
But God is letting you know by a word today that if you'll walk in the path of obedience and righteousness before God, that God's got a host He will send to you and show you so that when you enter into that battle, you'll be able to win that battle by the power, supernatural power of God. Not just by an earthly, but by a heavenly spiritual victory. I'm telling you right now. See, sometimes we become complacent because we don't see what's coming to, coming to fight us. But the goodness of God and the grace of God will show you before you see the battle. He'll show you, I'm with you. There are angels that are with you. And when you step into that battle, God said, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to send angels to fight on your behalf. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I'm thankful today that the Lord is with us. As long as we're walking in obedience to Him. Hallelujah. See, you, you don't want to wake up in the midst of battle and look around and say, where's my help? But if you're walking where you should be walking in obedience to God, God will show you before you enter into that battle, I've got some soldiers. I've got some soldiers. These soldiers are going to walk with you into that battle. These soldiers are going to give you the victory that are normally not seen, but God said, I will let you see them. Are you with me right now? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I've been in many battles, and I know that you have been in many battles. And it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for the host of God, you would have been whipped. You would have been defeated. And you might not have seen those angels, but God had sent them. God had letting you know, are y'all with me here today, that I was with you in that battle. If it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for the angels of the Lord, that battle would have won. And so we see it. Jacob says, I've got, I've got to honor this. This is so significant in my life. I can't just let it go by without honoring God. So as we come today to honor our mothers, let us do more than just honor our mothers. Let us honor God because of the spiritual experiences that we have that affect us eternally, that affect our spirits. Let me stand here in this congregation today and tell you there's one greater than your mother. And the one greater than your mother is the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternity is more important than temporary. God bless all the mothers. But I bless the name of the Lord Jesus. I bless God right now in the name of Jesus. So he honored this experience, this spiritual relationship. And I'm just telling you today, all over America, there will be people gathered and honoring their mothers. But they forgot God. They have forgotten those significant spiritual experiences that they've had with God. But here today I'm focusing us on the Lord. I'm focusing us on honoring experiences that we have with God. Are you thankful that the Lord intervened on your behalf? So he called it Mahanam. He said, I'm going to call it Mahanam. The Lord's host, two hosts, two camps, my camp and God's camp. My camp and a spiritual camp. And they escorted Jacob into, and by the way, this, this is outside of the promised land. This is east of Jordan. He still got to cross Jordan and to go into the promised land. He's on the other side of Jordan. He's on the east side. But God meets him. 
as he makes his way about ready to cross over the Jordan to go into the, the land of promise, God meets him before he gets there, before he enters into this battle. And it was so significant to Jacob. He said, I'm going to call it Mahanam. This is the Lord's host. This is a double camp. Give God praise in the house. I'm going to memorialize this event. How many God's done great things for you? How many God, you, you remember some spiritual significant event in your life? When God, did you memorialize that? Did you give it a name? Was it that significant to you that you would honor God because of His spiritual intervention on your behalf? So we see the return of the angel said, Jacob, I can't just let this go by. This is so significant spiritually that I must honor God. How many of you want to honor God this morning? Amen. You may be seated. And Jacob sent those messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau, thy servant Jacob, saith, Thus I have sojourned with Laban, verse 4, and stayed there until now. And I have oxen, asses, flocks, men servants, women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. You know what Jacob's doing? Not only does he recognize that God is with him and sending angels to help him to face this battle that's in the future, but he begins to, to put some strategy to this meeting, this encounter with Esau. He starts planning a plan. What he does is he says, Now, Esau, I've got oxen. I've got huge flocks. I've got children. I'm married now. He's letting Esau know, I'm a different man now. 20, 20 years before, I didn't have anything but a staff in my hand. 20 years before, I, I deceived you and manipulated. And, and I, you know, I was the disrespectful getter. Look at your neighbor and say, he was a disrespectful getter. And so now he comes and he says, Hey Esau, I'm not the man that I was 20 years ago. I'm a changed man. I'm a new man. I'm not coming for a handout. I'm not coming to demand my rights. The birthright. I'm not coming that way, Esau. I'm a different man. I'm a changed man now. I'm not looking for you to give me anything. I'm not coming to demand my rights. I'm not coming to deceive you out of anything. Because now I've got plenty. I'm blessed. I've got oxen. I've got a big family. I just want you to know, Esau, I'm a different person. I'm not the Jacob that I was 20 years ago. God's been working on me. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. God worked on him and God blessed him. So now he wants Esau to know, I'm not the Jacob I was 20 years ago. Are y'all here with me? And so he, he says in verse 5, I've got oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and women servants. And I've sent to tell my Lord that I might find grace in thy sight. I'm not, a, I'm not the same person anymore, Esau. I just want you to know that. It's been 20 years. And Esau, I'm asking for grace. I'm asking for you to show mercy to me. Esau, give me mercy. 
I need mercy. Do you understand that? That doesn't sound like the Jacob of old. Are y'all here with me today? He's talking differently now. The Bible says in verse 6, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee. And four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. Why did he do that? Because he, he understood if Esau is going to kill him and kill his family, it's better to divide the family and separate them out so that he doesn't get them all at once. You see, so he's, he's trying to let Esau know he's a different man. He's not coming back for, for demands or to get something. He's asking for grace, but he's also planning a plan. See, even though angels of God may be with us, there are situations in our life where we need grace from other people. We need to let them know, I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. You knew me 20 years as a, as a disrespectful getter. I'm no longer that person. You knew me 20 years ago about get what I want at any cost. But I'm not that person anymore. Esau, I'm asking for grace. At this point we see, are y'all with me here? Amen. That Jacob begins to plan a plan. You know, and it's, in, it's right there. It's at that moment he hears danger. How many people go through life and they don't prepare for eternity? The Bible says now is the day of salvation. Don't go through life waiting and putting it off and saying, well, I can do it next year or whatever. Now, say now is the day of salvation. You need to prepare and I need to prepare daily because now is the day of salvation. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. And Jacob was very wise in the fact that he started planning plans to, to deal with the destruction that he may be facing in his life. So he divided his camp so that they wouldn't be destroyed all at once. In verse 8, and he said, If I Esau... If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham. The next thing he does after he plans the plan is he breaks out in prayer. He starts praying to God because the danger is at hand. How many people, they stop praying? They're faced with trouble. They're faced with battles. God showed them that He's with them. The angels are with them. But they don't plan plans. They don't divide the companies like they should. They don't even pray. They don't go in the prayer room and seek the face of God. But the Bible says, Jacob began to pray unto the Lord. In this time of danger. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal with thee. Or, or I will deal well with thee. Say it's going to be well with you. God said it was. Verse 10. Look at his humility. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies. He starts praying, God, you said it would be well with me. I'm praying based on your promise. This should help some of you as you go to God in prayer and you see the need or maybe the battle that you're about to face. 
It will help you to pray. Don't go in the prayer room and say, God, help me because I deserve it. Don't go in the prayer room and pray to God because you feel like you are worthy of it. When you and I go into the presence of God and we ask God to help us with something, we don't walk up to God and say, hey God, I deserve it. Bless me. Hey God, I'm worthy of it. No, when you approach God, you don't approach God based on your own merit. You approach God based on His promise. When I the room and I pray unto God, say, God, I'm not coming here because I deserve it. I'm coming here because you made a promise to me. See, Jacob's a different man. Jacob has been humbled by the experiences in his life. He's not the same person he was. When he prays to God, he talks about how unworthy he is. But he said, I got a promise from you, God. And some of you don't pray. Maybe sometimes I don't pray because I don't feel worthy. Well, that's not the reason why we pray. We don't pray because we deserve it. We pray because of His promise. When I walk in that prayer, God, I don't even deserve to be in this holy place. Some of you, when you walked in this church service, you don't even feel worthy to be even in this holy place. Because when you walked in here, God lets you know you're fixing to walk in where God is. You're fixing to, fixing to walk in where the house of God is located. God is going to be there. As soon as you walked in here, you felt something different than you've ever felt in your life. And when you walked in here, you did not feel worthy to be here. But I'm telling you, it's not based on how worthy you are. It's based on a promise that God has made to you. What God wants to do for you not because you deserve it not because you're worthy but because the promise that God has made and the reason why so many people like that people come to church and the move of God is here they want to run out the front door you know how they want to run out the front door because when the presence of God comes down it always comes down in wrath until it hits the blood and when it hits the blood it turns to mercy he said, well, they want to run when they start feeling the presence of God move in this sanctuary. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not here because you're worthy. You're not here because you deserve it. God drew you here. God brought you here. God gave you a promise. He wants to do something in your life. Not because you deserve it. Not because you are worthy. And when you seek God, you say, I'm coming, Lord, right now because of your promise. Not because I deserve it. I've been a liar and a cheater and a manipulator all my life. I don't even feel worthy to step into that church house. But Lord, I'm not coming because I'm worthy. I am unworthy, but I'm coming because you made a promise through Jesus. Give God a hand clap of praise. I feel an anointing here. The Holy Ghost, somebody's being talked to by the Holy Ghost right now. When you walk in here, you walk in here with a promise. Say, I'm here because God made some promises to me. On the other hand, you better be careful because some people come to church and they have become so familiar with very significant spiritual moves of God that they no longer honor Him. Would to God that I had a person who would come into this house and would say, I'm unworthy, Lord. But I'm coming because of a promise. I'd rather have you than somebody that's been in the church forever and ever and ever and has lost the significance of honoring God in very spiritual events in their life. Give me some, some, if you will, I'll put it to you this way. Give me a lost person. 
Give me somebody that doesn't know God. I'm not going to use the word sinner. It's in the Bible, but I'm, just, I'm not going to use it. I'm going to say somebody that's lost. Somebody that doesn't know God. Give me somebody like that when they walk through the front door. They know their need for God. They might not have everything just exactly right. They might not be dressed just exactly right. Their hair might not be just exactly what it should be. But when they walk in there, they know who they are. And they are unworthy of the least of His mercies. And with time, God will change them. But you let God change them. You let God work in their life. Because we used to be in the same place they were. And we need to thank God for what He's done in our life. Not because we deserve it, but because of His great and awesome promises. Let this church never become religious. Let it always be about God. Give me somebody that will honor God because of very spiritual significant spiritual events that have taken place in their life. Somebody that knows they're not worthy. Somebody that when they come to church, they feel bad about their life. God, I'm not worthy, but I need you. I need you, God. I'm come here because you made a promise to me. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Jacob knows he needs God. He starts praying. He seeks God. I'm not worthy, verse 10, of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan and now have become two bands. When he says two bands, he just divided his family into two. But I don't believe that he's just talking about that. I believe he's talking about the angels of the Lord and his earthly host. He said, I've become two bands. I'm not worthy, God, for this to happen. He said, I came when I left. He said, I left with a staff. That's all I had was a staff. What an awesome testimony, brother, that you gave today. When you came in here, what did you have? Let me just tell you this. When I, when I came to God, what did I have? 18 years of age. What did I have when I came to the church? What did I have when I got baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost? What did I have then? What I have now is because of the goodness of God in my life. Because when I first walked in that church over 34 years ago and got baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, all I had was I didn't even have a staff. You understand? I was eating macaroni and cheese mixed with tuna fish. And that makes a good meal for about three or four days. And when you get tired of tuna fish and macaroni and cheese feeding you for about three days, then you come up with something else. It's called black-eyed peas and rice. And I'd mix up black-eyed peas and rice and I'd eat that for a few days. What did I have when I first started living for the Lord? Nothing. I was a nobody. I was nothing. I had nothing. But by the grace of God, I am what I am today. I give Him all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. I'm not going to stand here before you after 34 years and say, it was me. I'm going to tell you I am what I am by the grace of God. And if it wasn't for God, I'd be nothing, no nothing, had nothing. I'd probably be dead. And so would you. That's why you need to be thankful today. You need to get off of your seat and glorify God and say, Lord, I remember the way I came. I had nothing but a staff in my hand. 
but by your mercy and by your grace. Lord, I offer thanks to you because now I have increased from a staff to two bands. I've grown. I'm blessed. I've got cattle. I've got oxen. He's going to have so many. He can give Esau 500 animals and not miss them. That's how blessed this man is. But he shows God gratitude. He shows God appreciation for what God has done for him. He says, I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. But I come here, Lord, because of what you've done for me. And he's, he's saying, God, I just want you to know I appreciate all you've done for me. Brother Dice, my mentor, who's gone on to be with the Lord, he used to teach us and tell us this. And I know when I speak of him, your ears open because you know what kind of man he was. He prayed literally hundreds and thousands of people through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Hundreds and thousands of people were baptized in water in the name of Jesus as a result of that man's ministry. But here's what he used to teach us when he would teach us advanced soul winning. It was a course he taught in Apostolic Bible College in California. I've got that course in my, at home in my filing cabinet. It's about that thick on soul winning. He taught advanced soul winning in Apostolic Bible College. And in that course, I was reading it just the other day. And he said this. He said, when you start trying to win somebody to God... He said, take note of that person. He said, if that person appreciates what you do for them, they will appreciate what God will do for them. But he, he said, if you find somebody, they don't appreciate what you do for them, he said, forget them. Because if they do not appreciate what you do for them, they're never going to appreciate what God has done for them. And we live in that type of world right now where the Bible says a sign of the last days, unthankful. People don't appreciate what's done for them. If you don't appreciate what a person does for you, you'll never appreciate what God will do for you. But Jacob, after 20 years, he appreciates what God has done for him. Are you thankful today? Surely you're not so full of yourself. Surely I'm not so full of myself to think I am where I am by myself. Surely I ought to say thank you to you. Surely I ought to say thank you to the faithfulness of the people of God. Surely I should say thank you, Lord. I appreciate what you've done for me. I don't deserve it, but I appreciate it. How many of you appreciate it? You appreciate what people do for you. You appreciate what God does for you. Don't be the kind of person to go through life thinking you deserve a handout. See, that was Jacob 20 years before. Just a, a, just a disrespectful getter. Just give me, give me, give me. Not thankful. Now he's come home, he's thankful. He's learned some things to appreciate what God has done for him. I think that a lot of times, to be honest with you, church, that's why we come and sit in our pews and we're so miserable. Because we never show God how thankful, 
how much we appreciate what He's done for us. Amen? How many of y'all appreciate what the Lord's done for you? How many, how many somebody did something for you and you said, I appreciate it. I just want to tell you thank you. I appreciate it. Amen. Sister Melvis came home. I know she doesn't want recognition and I don't want to embarrass her, but this is coming in my spirit, you know. I didn't even know when she was supposed to be coming home because I didn't read the plane ticket right. I, th I thought she was coming home the same time I, time I was coming home. I looked at the ticket last night, the e-ticket last night, and she's supposed to come home on April the 26th. She'd be home on the 27th. And so I, I didn't even know when you were coming home. I thought she was coming home the first part of, you know, March or the last part of March. No, it's the last part of April. And I looked at the ticket. I go, well, that's when she's supposed to be coming home all along. I thought she was going to come home a long time ago. And I've been, you know, for over a month saying, where's she at? <laughs> you know? And I looked at the ticket last night. And she's supposed to come from Zambia April the 27th. When she's going to be back in Dallas, you know. I go, oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But anyway, to make a long story short, she brought my wife a beautiful Zambian dress. Just, you know how those, those colors are in that culture? Just brilliant, bright green. Just a beautiful dress. Amen? And brought, brought a, a shirt from Zambia and, and, and that I could wear and gave it to me, you know? Beautiful, just vibrant colors. You know how that, that culture is. I told her when she first started coming to church, I said, well, get with Mama and get with Sister Christina and she'll go get a few clothes for you, you know, if you, just to bless you. She said, I like Zambian clothes. Amen. I said, I, now I know why. Now I know why. They make this look ugly. But she, she, she thought she was appreciative enough and thankful enough that she took her time. And I don't know if it's true, but Sister Christina thinks it was handmade. But you know what she was doing? She's saying, thank you. I just want to show appreciation. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise. We ought to be that kind of people. When somebody does something for you, show them thanks. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Come on, church. We ought to be a different kind of people than the people in the world. The people of the world are nothing more than disrespectful getters. But Jacob said, no. I said, God has blessed my life and I just want to show appreciation to God. And he went to God to prayer and asked God to help him again. How I many of y'all love Jesus? Verse 11, he continues to prayer, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I... I fear him lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. I'm praying on the promise. I'm not praying because I deserve it. I'm praying because God, you made a promise to me. And I'm just showing you my gratitude. I'm showing you my appreciation. I left with a staff in my hand and now I'm coming back as two bands. 
God have mercy on our soul if you can't find anything in your life to be thankful for are you in the hospital day on your back with a terminal disease are you in the house of God today healthy in your body you could be in the hospital right now on your back with a terminal disease you ought to thank God for something and the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life don't be thankful because demons are subject to you through his name be thankful that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life you can't find anything to be thankful for I'm thankful and I need God's help and I'm coming to him because of a promise and the Bible says he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother he continued to strategize he said you know what he said I need to do something here for my brother I need to show my brother Esau that I'm not that disrespectful getter anymore. I need to show my brother Esau I'm a giver. I'm a giver. How many givers do I have in here? Now don't lie. Givers. You can't wait to give. I have some in here. They can't wait to give. I... Brother Caesar called me on the telephone and said, I'm testifying to you right now. We got this huge contract with this huge oil company, but I just want to let you know, Pastor, that you won't see an increase in the tithe for about a month. He was more worried about the increase in the tithe than anything else. That you won't see an increase in the tithe for about a month because they don't pay. They pay about every 30 days to 45 days. I said, Brother, I know you and your family. You don't even have to tell me that. You see, that, that, that's the mentality of a giver. That's why they're blessed in their life. They're so blessed in their life because they have that mentality to give. They're not disrespectful getters. They're givers. And Jacob wants to show Esau, I'm not a getter anymore. I'm a giver. And I won't read all the verses, but when you have time, read it for yourself. You know what he gave as a present? He gave close to 500 animals. I mean, what would some of us do? Well, go over there and get that goat, the one that's sick. <laughs> He's going to die tomorrow anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, man, five, close to 500 animals. Jacob is no longer a cheapskate. <laughs> There's some people bad there. Cheap. Just cheap, man. You know? The term we used to use when I was in the world, tightwads. They just tightwads. They cheap as they can be. They're going to keep everything they got for themselves. But see, Jacob is going to prove to his brother Esau He's a changed man. And I'm five hundred, close to 500 animals. That's a lot of gift. Ooh, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. All the cheapskates said amen.
Uh, y'all are too good now, so I can't catch you anymore. You got to say, all the letters say amen. Amen! I'm going to say, caught you. <laughs> You're too, you think too fast now. You know, I can't catch you anymore. Be a giver. Be a giver. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Be a giver. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Look at your neighbor. Help me preach. Ask your neighbor, are you a cheapskate? <laughs> and ask your neighbor another question. Are you a thief? Are you a thief? You rob God of the tithe and offering? You're a thief. Oh boy. I'm fixing to have a fight right up in here in the church. What'd you call me? I call you nothing. Just ask you a question. But look how lavish he is. How many of y'all believe that Jesus' love is lavish love? The love that Jesus Christ has for me is lavish love. It's abundant love. It's overflowing love. He came to give us life and that more abundant. When you study the word abundant, it's super, super duper abundant life. Lavish love. How much you love Jesus? You love him with a lavish love? Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost all over me. I'm gonna give this, I'm gonna give you a present, Esau. Close to 500 animals. You take time, you read it. And the Bible says he drove, he, he divided the animals into different companies because you know when you're gonna put, you know, cattle with horses or cattle with sheep or whatever. Cattle with sheep and sheep with goats. You put all those animals together and they start fighting with each other. Kind of like church house. See? But Jacob was smart. He put the cows with the cows. So that's what we got to do. We got to put the cows with the cows. Spiritually speaking. He put the goats with the goats. We put the goats with the goats. He put the sheep with the sheep. Hallelujah. So they wouldn't fuss and fight and, you know, pretty smart man. He set them in their own companies. He's a good shepherd. That's what I got to do sometime. Some of y'all about ready to kill each other. I've been right in the middle of it. I'm telling you the truth, right in the middle. Say, what you doing talking like that? What you, you know, just, why don't I just step out the office door and get out of there and let you just kill each other? That's what I feel like doing sometimes. Just get up, walk right out the church, right out of the door right there and say, you go ahead. You know, put your boxing gloves on. Let's go. No, a shepherd's going to stay there. Hallelujah. He might step out for a minute, but he's going to step back in after you get through knocking each other's teeth in the back of your throat. You just step back in there and he'll divide you. You say, okay, you, know, you need to get over here. You need to get over here. It doesn't mean that you don't love each other. You're still in the company, you know, but we got to divide you. we got to set you apart because if we don't, you're going to just keep fighting with each other. That's what a good shepherd does. If you're not careful, you know, if you're a shepherd, you got you try to divide that and separate that, they're going to jump on you. You know, you know the most dangerous call that a policeman can take is domestic violent call. Domestic violence. That's the most dangerous call that a police officer can take. Because he's going to jump in the middle. He's going to try to bring peace, you know, while the husband and wife just going at each other. And while he's trying to bring peace, they're going to both jump on him. It's the most dangerous call you can take. 
I'll lose. But this is a wise shepherd. He divides, the, he divides the animals in the company so they won't fight with each other. And not only that, but just put on the show too. We can, we can separate the animals to protect them from killing each other. And if Esau sees them coming, you know, one group and then another group and then another group and another group, it's even going to look bigger than 500 animals. I'm going to put on a show. Say praise the Lord. Sometimes the show is okay. So, and I know you're getting tired. You're used to 30-minute sermons. Sermons. The sermonettes are for demonettes. And I don't preach sermonettes. You sit down and watch a three-hour movie and... No. So here they come. Companies of animals. Separated and divided. So they don't fight. And so Esau, when he sees this coming, he says, look at this gift. Where's it coming from? Why is it coming to me? We'll find that out later on. But anyway. Verse 17, He commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau, my brother, meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou? And where thou goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sin unto my Lord Esau, and behold also he is behind us. And so and so commanded the second, the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him. And say you moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And afterward I will see his face peradventure. He will accept me. So went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. Amen. Hopefully he'll see when I give him the gift that I'm a changed man. I'm a giver now. You see how big, how large... Lavish. Not small. It's an honor to give to God. You know what the devil will do? He'll come to you and say, it costs too much. The cost is too great. Are you kidding me? The cost is too great? No, Jesus' lavish love upon me. His superabundant love. All, the least I can give Him is my appreciation and love. And so what does Jacob do? Another spiritual significant event in his life as I come to a close. The Bible says he arose up that night, took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the four Jabbok. When he does that, when he crosses the, the Jabbok River, it, uh, the Jabbok is a little stream, a little tributary that feeds the Jordan. Jordan borders the promised land. The west side of Jordan is the promised land. The east side of Jordan is not the promised land. When he crosses over that little tributary that feeds the Jordan River, that word Jabbok means proceeding. That word Jabbok means flowing or pouring forth. It's a picture and a type of the rhema word of God. The proceeding word. He crosses over that little tributary that feeds the Jordan River. 
when he does, see, he does all this in obedience to God. He's at the present. He's done all he can do to try to show he's a different person now. It's in the hands of God by way of prayer. The angels of God are with him. But he's still concerned about his reception from Esau. You know, he could have run for his life. He could have run in fear. That's what a lot of people do. When troubles come in their life, they run from them. They run from the church. They run from God. They run, run, always on the run. How many of y'all made up your mind you're not going to run anymore? If you run, you're going to run to God. How many tired? How many of you are tired of retreating in life? All you've ever done in your life, and when the trouble come up, is you ran, you retreated. I don't want to be a retreater. Jacob, by faith, even though he knows his life is in danger and his whole family's life is in danger, he still moves forward. When he gets to the Jabbok, that tributary that feeds the Jordan, he's close to entering into the will of God. And nothing, no battle, nothing is going to cause him to run or retreat. By faith, he goes forward, not backwards. When you and I are faced with trouble, if we're not careful, we're going to want to run. We're going to run for our life. We want to go into retreat mode because that's all we've ever known. But when you live for God, you don't retreat. When you live for God, you go on forward. You keep walking with God in the face of trouble, in the face of battle. Now, and I'm not, listen, church, I love every one of you. And I know I'm getting long-winded, but you know you can't, you're not going to be able to eat till 2 o'clock anyway. Because everything's full. I'm doing you a favor. I'm giving you a seat to sit in until the lines go down. Amen. And I'm not just talking about quitting the church and leaving. I'm talking about you, you, you gave up. You gave up. You come to church, you just sat there the whole time. You gave up. You don't think your pastor knows that? I've been in this, I've walked with God for 34 years. I've been pastoring this church alone for over 20. I pastored another one before that. I've been a youth minister. You don't think that your pastor can tell when you're in retreat? I've been tempted to retreat. I've been, re I've been tempted to throw up my hand and say, I'm done. I've been tempted to do that. Your battle compared to my battle is not really that big. I'll be honest with you, I've been tempted to run and retreat. But faith says, no. Faith says, get up. Faith says, cross the Jabbok. Faith says, you cross that proceeding place. You cross that place where there is a flow. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Get it for me, Bishop. You know what Jabbok is a picture of? It's a picture of the preached Word of God. The proceeding Word of God. When it goes forth, what's it going to do? What's that proceeding Word going to do? See, the Bible says... He gets his family, he crosses over the river Jabbok, the proceeding place. And what's going to happen to him? He's going to wrestle with an angel and he's going to put, dislocate his thigh. 
that angel is going to dislocate his thigh, the joint of his thigh. In where? That proceeding place. When you come to the house of God and you hear the Word of God preached, I don't know if you know it, but that Word is a proceeding Word. And when that Word goes forth, it's going to dislocate you. It's going to do spiritual surgery on you. You know why that rain of that proceeding Word does spiritual surgery on us? Why it dislocates us? So it can set us in the order of God. Sometimes you don't come to church, man. You want to be put back together. You know, like you're the dry bones in the wilderness. And you want to be put back together. But a proceeding word will dislocate you. It will do spiritual surgery on you in order to realign you in the order of God. You keep going forward. You say, Lord, right now, I need a proceeding word. I need something to dislocate me right now and to put me back into order, put me back into proper arrangement. Okay, read it. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick. The rhema, that's the proceeding word. The word of God is, the rhema is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit. Read. And the joints and the marrow. It is a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's good right there. So that word right there, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the same word. Proceeding word or the rhema word. And when you come to the house of God, that proceeding word, what's it going to do? Just like he said, it's going to divide. It's going to dislocate. That's what we don't like. Is when that word's doing surgery on us, that proceeding word, that preach word's doing surgery on us. I mean, it's cutting us up. You know what the Bible says in the Old Testament? That God, by the prophets, hewed them. He said, by the prophets, I cut them up. See, when you come to church, you're always thinking about, I want to be blessed, I want to feel good. But the assignment of a prophet is to hew you. The assignment of a prophet is to give you a preached, proceeding word that will dislocate your life, do spiritual surgery in your life, and bring you back into proper order and arrangement in God. That's why you have a preached word. So the word Jabbat means proceeding. And what happened to Jacob when he walks across that proceeding place? His thigh is dislocated in order to bring him into the proper order. Israel means God commands. The name Israel means God's command. The name Israel means God prevails. The name Israel means God rules. The name Israel means God's order. Let me read to you what I'm talking about. The Bible says in verse 22, He rose up that night under the cover of night, took His two wives, His two women servants, and eleven sons, and passed over the proceeding place, Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that He had. And Jacob was what? Left alone. Your greatest battles are when you're by yourself. 
Hypocrisy doesn't take place in the open. Hypocrisy takes place undercover. And you and you're in my greatest battle comes to us when we're alone. See, God knows there's still some work that needs to be done in Jacob, so he's got to go to that proceeding place where he can be dislocated in order to be brought into proper order. So now, it's not... And he's there by himself all alone. And his greatest battle is about to take place. The Bible says, in that proceeding place, Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. If you look at Hebrews... Hosea chapter 4 and Hosea chapter... Listen, Hosea chapter 12 and verse 4. Hosea chapter 12 and verse 5. Hosea 12 tells you... You can check me on those verses, but it's in the 12th chapter. That the man that wrestled with Jacob was an angel of the Lord. But then it goes on and says that angel of the Lord was God. This man that is wrestling with Jacob there in that proceeding place was none other than a theophany of God. It was a visible manifestation of God Himself. And what did the Bible say? He wrestled. Put your Bible down, please. He wrestled. They got into hand-to-hand -hand combat. You know what I'm saying? Hand-to-hand -hand combat. They started wrestling with each other. And the Bible says they wrestled all night long. The angel did not prevail over Jacob and Jacob did not prevail over the angel. He, listen, are you seeing this? You talk about stamina. You talk about strength. That Jacob could wrestle with the angel of the Lord and all night long. That's a man. That man's got stamina. That man's got strength. Neither the angel prevailed nor Jacob. Which lets me know, at the beginning of the wrestling, the angel did not use supernatural strength. Because had he, God could have taken him and squished him. God could have taken Jacob and crushed him right there. He didn't use supernatural strength. Jacob is wrestling with God. In human form. All night long. But if you'll notice something, we're going to find out in just a moment. This wrestling with God was really God wrestling with Him. But it wasn't Jacob fighting God. It was Jacob fighting for a blessing from God. When you sometimes God will come when you're in your alone place in the night seasons of your life, and He'll get a hold of you, and He'll begin to wrestle with you, and you begin to wrestle with God. And it's not because Jacob was trying to fight God; he's going to say, "I'm not going to let you go till you bless me." He wasn't fighting God; he was fighting for a blessing. Sometimes you got to get fervent with God. Sometimes all night long, stamina, strength. 
where there's a wrestling God I need a blessing from you it's not that you're fighting God you're fighting for a blessing from God that's why I don't understand there's so many people now obviously this is a free free country you can leave when you want to you can leave now and if you need to go nobody's going to get upset nobody's going to get mad don't be embarrassed if you need to go go I'm going to keep preaching until I'm done You need to get the heart of a Jacob like I, and I need to get a heart of a Jacob. No longer, no longer, it doesn't matter how long I gotta stay. No, no, if I gotta stay all night, if I gotta stay all day, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. I'm gonna fight. I'm not gonna just sit there on a pew. I'm gonna wrestle with you, God, until I get the blessing. And it's not that I'm fighting with God. It's not that you're fighting with God. You're saying, God, I have to have a blessing. Now what happens, the Bible says. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the... This is the angel of the Lord saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob. You talk about a man of stamina, strength. The angel of the Lord did not prevail against Jacob. But at this point, so Jacob knows that all this manifestation of God, all he had to do was turn on supernatural power. That's all it would take. When the angel of the Lord decides to use supernatural power, he just touches him. Boom! And the Bible says the hollow of his thigh was what? Dislocated in that proceeding place. Now he walks with a limp. You ever have this kind of encounter with God, you'll never walk the same ever again. When people see you, they're going to they're see you walking with a limp. And what that says is, I'm not trusting in my own strength anymore. I'm trusting in my God. He wrestled with him until the what? The breaking of the day. The Hebrew word bokar. Bokar, the breaking of the day. Why does that ain't why why? He said, Let me go. There's the breaking of the day. It's bokar. And Jacob says, I'm not gonna let you go. Amen. Amen. When he saw he prevailed not again, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he wrestled with him and he said let me go for the day breaketh he said I will not let thee go except thou bless me and he saith unto him what is thy name and he said Jacob confession time I'm the supplanter I'm the cheater I'm the deceiver I'm Jacob what is the blessing it's recorded in four ways that the angel of the Lord, God in visible form, blesses Jacob. The first one, he says, what is your name? A confession from Jacob of who he was naturally. I'm Jacob. And the angel of the Lord says, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. 
The first part of the blessing is a name change. You're not going to be the manipulator, the, the conniver, the, the deceiver anymore, the supplanter anymore. You're going to be known as Israel. Israel is variously interpreted as a prince. It's interpreted as power. It's interpreted as conquered by God. It's interpreted, it has many facets to it. The Hebrew word sar in Israel means commandment or to be under the command of God or the order of God. So this man became dislocated in the proceeding place by the angel of the Lord so that he could come under the rulership and the order of God. As a prince, you have power with God. So I'm going to give you a name change. Do you see that? So when you come to the house of God and that word's going forth, it's preaching and it's dislocating you and it's doing spiritual surgery on you, you need to thank God for that dislocation. Because it's so that you and I will have a name change. And so I can come under the order of God or the command of God. I am dislocated. And so now we see His name is changed. Israel, as a prince, hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. You're a man conquered by God. You now have been exalted. You're in a higher position in the eyes of God. and You're in a higher position in the eyes of men. The blessings of God is upon him. And he says, he continues. For as a prince, say position. Power, say spiritual power. Is a part of that blessing. How many of you want to be a prince in the eyes of God? A prince in the eyes of men for the sake of God. Under the order and command of God. How many of you want that? How many of you want spiritual power in your life? You've got to have spiritual power in your life to live for God. You've got to have spiritual power in your life to defeat hell. But when you get a name change, Israel, he got a part of the name of God, El. When you got water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, you took on a name change. God gave you power, a new position. He gave you spiritual power to live for Him and to conquer the devil. Until you experience that new birth, you can't live for God. And you can't conquer the devil. But you get water baptized in the name of Jesus and you get filled with the Holy Ghost. You'll have power to live for God and power to conquer the devil. And then the Bible says... Are y'all with me? God says, and you've prevailed. This man has a name change. This man has spiritual power. This man is a prince before God. And number four, God says, you have prevailed. You're overcome. And you're overcoming. But now, when people see you, they're going to see you in your weakness. When they see you, they're going to see you walk with the cane. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, when Jacob was about ready to die, he, lifted, he, he leaned over his staff by faith. You know what that means? Jacob at this point could no longer depend upon his own ability.
He's walking with a limp because God has touched him. And when he goes forth, everybody's going to see his weakness. And it's all going to be saying by faith, God is my strength. I'm leaning on God now. All my life I've manipulated, cheated, deceived people. I was a disrespectful getter. But I'm a changed man now. And you see my weakness. I had an encounter with God. And what does Jacob do? And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? He, he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. This is another spirit, significant spiritual event in my life. So I'm going to honor these spiritual events that have come to me by calling this place Peniel. I've seen God face to face. He honors the spiritual experiences He has with God. They were important to Him. He said, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Yeah. You talk about prevailing. You talk about being preserved. When you can see God, you can stand in the presence of God and not be crushed. You can stand in the presence of God this morning and not be destroyed by Him. How blessed I am. How blessed you are. You talk about being preserved. Preservation. So he called it Penuel. He called the first one Mahanam in honor of a spiritual event that took place in his life. He calls the second place Penuel. I've seen God face to face. I honor these experiences. I honor God. They are important to me, said Jacob. He passed over Penuel. By the way, this is still on the eastern side of Jordan. He's still not even the promised land yet. And when he did, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. Here he is. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh. They don't eat the sciatic nerve that is in the hollow of the thigh of the animals when they eat it. They don't eat that sciatic nerve. It's not something God told them to do. It's something they decided to do. To honor the spiritual experience of their father. We won't eat that sciatic nerve in the hollow of the thigh of an animal. Because that was such a significant spiritual event in the time of my father. I'm going to memorialize that. Even though God didn't tell them to do it, they made it important. And so he limps. And as he limps, he looks up. After seeing God face to face, after seeing the angels of the Lord, and memorializing those significant spiritual events in his life, 
then he looks up and sees earthly things. He sees Esau coming with an army of 400. What's going to be the outcome? He still doesn't know. All he knows is he's prayed and he's planned and he's done what he could and had these spiritual experiences with God. That's all he knows. Now God lets him see the earth. He's saying, God, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. I don't just need a blessing for the earth. I need a heavenly blessing. And I got it. And now after all of that, he looks up and he sees Esau and 400 men. What's going to be the outcome? He still doesn't know. So you know what he does? He divides his little family. He's already divided into two camps. Now he's going to divide them into threes. He's going to take and put his two wives, the maidservants, out front with their children. And then guess who he's going to put second? Leah and her children. We talked about that one. And then guess who he puts in the back of the line? Rachel and Joseph. Furthest from the battle. Okay, so if Esau attacks, he can take out those two women up there and their children. If Esau attacks, he can take Leah and, and her children. But Rachel and Joseph, I'm going to favor them more. I'm going to protect them while I put them at the back of the line. How would you like to be Leah? Closest to the battle. How many husbands I got out there like that? I mean, you know... Danger comes, you put your wife out in the front. You know, if anything happens, let God take her. Amen. I promise you I'm almost done. Y'all have been very patient with me this morning. But I had an assignment to get done. But I mean, I was in a church. I wasn't pastoring at the time. And this evangelist came by that church. And he preached a service. And it was really good. And, you know, they stayed in the church, uh, that particular church. And at night he heard somebody knocking on the door. They're in the church. You know what he did? He got a bat and he put his wife out in front. <laughs> I'll never forget that. He's funny, man. If thing happens, she goes down first, right? Y'all, you men wouldn't do that, though, would you? You know, since today I told Joshua, you know, he's got to put his wife out in front. That, that doesn't mean in dangerous times. Okay? Amen. But that's what Jacob did. He just put the less favored up in the front. That way if they get killed, and you know, we'll be... All right, we got it. Okay. So to make a long story short, there's a reunion with Esau. And the Bible says that as he approaches Esau, you know what he does? He goes and bows seven times on the ground. Seven times. He gets up, he walks a little bit, he bows again. He gets up and he walks a little bit, he bows again. He shows courtesy to this man. He shows respect to his brother. He is a changed man. Not totally, we'll see. Bows down, there's a reunion. The Bible says he falls into the embrace of Esau. It was all by the grace of God. God had answered his prayer. God had intervened on his behalf. 
where he thought where he thought it was all over when he thought certain death was awaiting him God intervened he fell in the arms of Esau and they had a conversation in that reunion and Esau said why where did all these animals come from they came from me as a gift oh I don't want them Jacob Jacob says I insist you take them Esau says okay I'll take them you see, because if Esau said no to the gift, he was saying no to the friendship of Jacob in that culture. And to say yes to the gift, say, I say yes to your friendship, Jacob, and your pardon, I forgive you. That's why Jacob insisted he take the gift. Amen. And so God intervened by His grace once again in the life of Jacob. And after this reunion, I want to just ask you a question. How many of you ever got to a place in your life where you feel like it was all over? You thought in your mind, it's all over. This is it. I'm fixing to die here. You ever been there? That's where Jacob was. He thought it was all over, man. But it wasn't all over. God intervened. The moment you think it's all over, man, you think everything's fixing to be destroyed. That's when God can intervene and cause you to fall to the arms and be embraced by the very danger that would have destroyed you. I don't know how many times I've been in that place. I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor. I don't know how many times I've been in that place. You know? Even some things God has asked me to do, I'm thinking, man, this is going to be it for me. You know? Praise God. When I, when I felt like the Lord's telling me to go to Zambia and preach over there, I'm thinking, okay, I'm fixing to catch the plane. It's fixed to go down to the water. It's all over. It's done. I'm just, I'm going to die. But you know what kept holding me? The Word, the promise of God. Because I knew He had given me two, possibly three messages to preach while I was there. So I said, God, if you gave me the message to preach, that means I'm going to go and I'm going to preach them. So I just laid back and went to sleep. But I can't tell you the emotion I was going through. You know what I'm saying? But it wasn't all over. So I'm just going to say this to you. When you think it's all over and everything's about to be destroyed and everything's about ready to die, get up in the name of Jesus and believe God's Word. Take Him at His promise. It's not over yet. I'll tell you this way. It's not over until it's over. If God be for me, who can be against me? And no matter what you've gone through in your life, you've got God on your side. And I want you to know, listen to me, when Jacob walked out there, he didn't walk out there big man. He walked out there like this. Bowed seven times. What happened to you, Jacob? I'm a changed man. My name's Israel now. I'm relying on the power of God. When you feel weak, then are you strong? And God can bless your life. And so after this reunion, happy reunion, I say, you know, and I close for the third time. Esau says, hey, Jacob, come on over and go with me to Seir, to Edom. Edom's not the promised land. It's not the land that's flowing with milk and honey. But Esau wants Jacob to go with him. And Jacob says, I can't go with you. Can't go with you. And he gives, an, he gives an excuse. He says, if we overdrive the sheep, if you overdrive the sheep, they'll die. 
But I tell you what, Esau, you go ahead and go and I'll catch up with you later. He never intended to go to Esau's land. But he started lying again. After these great, memorable, significant experiences in his life, how quickly it is for a person to begin to backslide into the life of sin. And he begins to lie his way once again through life. So let us learn that no matter how great the spiritual experiences are that we have in our life, you still got to keep fighting. Because the moment you stop fighting, it is so easy for us to fall back into our old ways and backslide. Amen? And we'll see that tonight. God bless you. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church today. I thank you for this meeting, this very significant spiritual event that has taken place. Thank you, God, for all the mothers, Lord Jesus, that are present. We thank you for the ability to honor them on Mother's Day. But Lord, by your word and by your spirit, we honor you above that. We thank you, God, for spiritual events that have taken place in our life. Let us name them as Jacob named Menahem, Mahanaim, and Penuel. And as Israel commemorated the event by not eating the sciatic nerve of the hollow of the thigh. Let us be that kind of people. And remember and honor you today for all the great significant spiritual events in our life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Would you lift your hands and just thank God today? Would you honor Him? Is this meeting important to you today? Is this word that you've heard preached to you, is it important to you enough to take